Well, as always, it's such a privilege to, to meet with you uh, on a Sunday night like this. It's such a, such a joy. I, uh, I have the, the, the church did vote, uh, I think it's uh, two months ago now, that, uh, to, to make me as uh, full-time. And, and uh, we <laughs> had the conversation about uh, there's no such thing really as a part-time pastor. You're either a pastor or you're not. You, know? you just might have a lot of other stuff to do if you also have to um, work another job. But um, <laughs> I think uh, I think the people are already regretting it because my sermons are twice as long now, uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, they were already long. Um, but anyway, so but praise the Lord for that. God is good. Um, if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians, Philippians chapter three, I've sort of enjoyed um, over the last uh, several months as uh, preaching through uh, the series. I find it find it uh, more comforting for myself when I preach through a book of the Bible, because if I don't get to everything in one sermon, I can say, well, I'll get to it next sermon, <laughs> you know. Um, sometimes if I'm just picking one chapter, I feel like I've got to give you the whole book in order to get, you know, really um, understand it. And usually that is how um, passages are, are best understood, by considering them in context. We've seen in Philippians so far uh, this amazing attitude of Paul, because in chapter one, he, he, he expresses that he's in prison. He's been imprisoned for, for the cause of Christ, and yet he's, he's very joyful about it. He, he's, he's talking about all these things he's happy about, and one of the things he's happy about is the fact that he's in prison because, in a way, the gospel is going forth because he's in prison. And, and he's, he's, he has this radical perspective, and that is, for me to live is Christ and to, to die is gain. We know, of course, his conclusion to this whole letter is going to be found in Philippians chapter 4. We see this in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And everything, Paul, I mean, even in, in, in being put in prison for, for, uh, for the cause of Christ, we're, we're to... Pray and, and give supplication to God with thanksgiving over that thing? <laughs> the answer is yes. All things we are to be thankful for. And he expresses the reason throughout, throughout the other chapters. And that's what we've examined. In chapter 1, we see that there is, there is this perspective of Paul. And that is to, die, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Whatever Christ has for me, that's good because he's got a purpose in it. And that's wonderful. Chapter 2, he goes into this, the, the mind that we should have, the mind of Christ, and that we, we, we should humble ourselves and be ready to submit ourselves, even unto death, as Christ did, uh, in Christ's likeness. And in chapter 3, he really gets to the crux of the, of the whole issue, and uh, it's probably the most recognizable passage of the, of the four chapters, uh, though there's recognizable verses in all of the all of the chapters. We'll, we'll begin reading in verse 1, and uh, I think we'll see our focus is going to be on the phrases in, um, that we're going to find in, in verses 8 through 10. But begin with me in verse 1. Uh, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, to write the same things to you. To me, is, it, to, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Uh, this suggests that either Paul has written to them before, or he's saying that he's writing the same things he said when he was with them. You know, um, 
he's repeating himself. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Now verse 2 is interesting. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Now Paul was, uh, there was one great heresy that we see Paul dealing with throughout his life. Now there was also other heresies, but the great one that you see is the, the major focus of Paul is Judaism. That is, um, Jewish people who come to faith in Christ as the Messiah and then demand that if anyone is to be saved, they must become Jewish people. They must, they must be proselyte Jews. They must follow the Jewish law, be circumcised, all of this stuff, or they can't have the grace of God without work. And so Paul is constantly um, confronting this, this issue. It is a great benefit to us, not because there's a lot of people today who are Judaizers, but because there's even to us today a lot of people who demand that someone must perform certain works if they're to be saved. And of course, we see through Paul's writings that that is not the case. But notice that before, in chapter 1, he talks about the people who were preaching the gospel, but they were doing it for the wrong reasons. And he says, yeah, they're doing it for the wrong reasons, but at least they're preaching the gospel, and I'm going to glory in that. Here, he is not glorying in the Judaizers, because they're not preaching the gospel. They're actually twisting and perverting the gospel, and he's not saying, oh, you know, hey, at least they love Jesus. He's saying, these guys are terrible. They're dogs. Now, understand what this means to a Judaizer, a Jewish person. He says, you guys are the dogs. You're the real Gentiles here, you know. You're the real outcasts of God, God's people because you're perverting the very gospel of Christ, suggesting that you can earn it. When, if you could earn it, why did Christ die on the cross for us? You can earn the gospel. You're the dogs if you're teaching this terrible heresy. Beware of evil workers. Be, it's, so he said, evil, wait, they're workers. They're working righteousness. They're, they're working righteous works. And he says, no, no, they're evil workers because they're taking their works and suggesting that their works are good enough to reach the, the level of salvation, but all of our works are as filthy rags. They're evil workers. They think their work, they believe in their works. Beware of the concision. Now, this is a phrase that Paul makes up. He's making up a word here, and uh, it's, I think it's well expressed in the King James here, the, the concision, because basically in the Greek, he's taking the word circumcision, and he's shortening it down, and, and turning the word circumcision into a word that just basically means the mutilators of their own flesh. They're, they're cutting and mutilating themselves. They're cutting themselves. They're the concision. They're not, the they're, they're, they're not preaching circumcision. They're preaching mutilation of one's body as if that somehow pleases God. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ and have no confidence in the flesh, meaning it's, it's a thing of the heart. Now, Paul is leading towards something that I think is important to our to our total theme of thankfulness. So watch watch the point that he's making. Verse 4, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. So he denounces these these false teachers, these work salvation guys, you know, these Judaizers. And then he comes and he says, I could have confidence in the flesh if I wanted to. I mean, Paul was circumcised. Paul was a Jew. Not only was Paul a Jew, he was a Pharisee originally, right? I mean, I mean, he was the he was the head of the of the head of the Jews, you know. He was the most righteous of the most righteous of the Jewish people. He says, "Look, if if we're saved by that, then I would have been saved without turning to Christ in the first place. Why did Christ meet me on the road to Damascus? Why did He say it's hard for you to kick against the pricks? I was already perfect. I was our Pharisee, you know. 
Uh, he's going to make this point. Look at verse 4. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. That was when a son was supposed to be circumcised. Of the eighth day. Now a, now a Gentile person who converted to Judaism, he would be circumcised, but not on the eighth day after he was born. It was whenever he converted. He's saying, I, I'm not a convert to Judaism. <laughs> I might... I might go by the name Paul, which is a Gentile name, but my original name, Paul would say, would, is Saul. I was a Jewish person. I'm a Jewish. I was circumcised the eighth day. I'm, I, I'm from the beginning. I was that, but it wasn't good enough. If any man thinketh that he have, oh, I'm sorry, I'm skipping back a verse. Verse five: Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. Like of the Hebrews, I was the the Hebrew one of the Hebrews. You know. If the Hebrews are set aside as God's people, I was set aside among God's people, especially God's people, because I was a Pharisee. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. He's of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, which is, uh, which is uh, an important tribe in, in, the, in, the, uh, in, in the nation. As touching the law, a Pharisee. <laughs> hey, did I follow the law? You better believe it. I was a Pharisee. I mean, we went above and beyond the law to make sure that nobody ever came even close to crossing the laws. You know, did I... Did I break the law? No way, Jose, you know. But it wasn't good enough. Verse 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Was I zealous? Was I just doing it just to, no, I was serious about it. I went out and gathered people and threw them in prison uh, who were Christians. I mean, I was a zealous Hebrew. Um, I persecuted the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. You couldn't find anything to blame me on. But what things were gained to me those I counted loss for Christ. Those I counted loss. The things that I used to think were my great gain. All the things that brought me, that showed me as righteous, that showed me as holy, that showed me as pure, that, that lifted me up in front of other people, that as Pharisees, you know, they would walk down the streets and uh, they would expect others to sort of part part ways for them because they were the holiest of the holies and you know you couldn't rub rub up against them because you know you might have touched something that touched something that touched something that touched a gentile at some point and that gentile might have touched a pig at some point and you know so you can't brush up against a pharisee because they're ultra holy you know all of this he says all the things that used to be so important to me that was really just about my own you know glory i now see as loss it's not nothing. It's less than nothing. It's it's not it's not it's not a zero. It's a it's a negative number. <laughs> it, it's it was loss for me. It was actually that was itself sin. It, it, it wasn't righteousness because I was doing it for my own self and for my own glory. And what was it that Satan fell for? Because he was more concerned with his own glory than the Lord's. He's saying, look at, look at all the things that, I, that propped me up and, and showed me as righteous ended up being the things that were my sin. That was the blame that I had. It was the loss. It was the sin. It was, it was focusing on my own glory and my own righteousness and, and appearing righteous to others. I saw that was loss. Why? For Christ. When I met Christ, I realized that the rest was loss. You say, what does this have to do with Thanksgiving? Just, just hang in there, okay? <laughs> just hang on. I think we'll see that in a minute. Uh, verse number eight. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. He says, you know what? I'll go even further. 
everything's lost. Everything is lost for the excellency of, watch this phrase, the knowledge of Christ. Here's our key phrase of the passage. The excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Understand that Paul, a Pharisee, who had built all, who not only was he wealthy, sure, but he was he was popular, he was famous, he had position, he has he had authority, he had all of these things. He had letters from the chief priests to go grab the Christians, throw them in prison. I mean, man, he he was at the height of his career. Maybe he'd be on the Sanhedrin if he if he kept at it, you know. Um, this this he had everything he wanted, and he says, when I met Christ, I realized that was loss. And so I was happy to suffer the loss of all of those things because all those things were loss. And I, I realized that they were filthy rags and I wanted to get them away from me as fast as I could. I, I abandoned being a Pharisee. I abandoned all the righteousness that people thought that I had. I abandoned all of my good name. I abandoned it and I pursued Christ because I found Christ to be valuable and all the rest to be nothing but a detractor of value. I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. Now understand, this, we're talking about negatives here. We're not talking about, uh, you know, neutrals. If I, if I bought a house, you know, sight unseen, and I walked in and it's empty, I would say, all right, we've got some work to do. If I walk into the house and it's full of dung, I say, I got, I got swindled, <laughs> you know, this is, this is a negative. This isn't a neutral, right? He says, I count these things, but dung. They're trash. They are refuse. I'm disgusted by them because they were all for the purpose of me and not for the purpose of Christ. And now that I know Christ, I will willingly give it all up. By the way, just as a side note, there's a great apologetic for the truth of the resurrection of Christ. You, you, don't, you can't explain... Uh, no historian could look at, at Paul and explain why he, who has every bit of, of reason to, even if he did meet the resurrected Christ, he has every reason to deny that he met the resurrected Christ. He has every reason to say, no, I didn't see Christ. He's, he's dead because he has, he has power and influence and money and position and everything he needs, every bit of incentive to deny the resurrection, even if he knew it was true. And yet he gives it all up, and he says the reason he gave it up is because he saw Jesus. He met the risen Christ, and he couldn't deny the resurrection. And you just can't explain that. There's no explanation for that other than Jesus really rose from the dead. There's just none. His, historians, atheist historians to this day cannot explain that. It's a, I love it. What love bringing it up when I'm in conversations with them. Well, explain Paul. You think Paul really was a Pharisee? Well, yeah. I mean, all the historical evidence about him says yes. Well, then explain why he all of a sudden took everything that was gain in this life and counted it as loss for this guy who didn't rise from the dead, for his own enemy? Well, he changed his mind because Christ really rose from the dead. He found the value of Christ. Look what it says in verse 9. He continues on this. And being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith. That's, by the way, the only righteousness that matters. The rest of the righteousness is filthy rags. All it does is glorify you, which again is sin itself, and it contradicts itself. It's not righteousness at all. The righteousness 
that matters is the righteousness which is by faith in Christ. The righteousness that turns to Christ and says, I'm not good enough. You are Lord. And a faith that doesn't bring someone to uh, repentance, a faith that doesn't cause someone to turn to Christ, is not a saving faith. Verse 10. Now, here comes that concept. Notice in verse 8, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Now, this, I think, is going to be the, the point that he's going to harp on. See, in verse 10, he goes back to that, that I may know him. The ex- excellency of knowing Christ, the knowledge of Christ. Y- you realize, he's saying, how valuable knowing a Christ is. You realize that when we, when we spend our lives trying to appear righteous to others, we have, we have this great motive that is ourselves. And ourselves is, are, ends up getting in the way, you know, preventing us from knowing Christ the way we could. You realize what you're missing out by not knowing Christ. Not only are you missing out on the, the righteousness of, which is of God by faith, but, but understand the great, most valuable thing in life is to know Jesus Christ. This is all of eternity, by the way. Getting to know Christ better, getting to know the Lord better. Verse 10, he says, now here's what I want to do now. All the rest is lost. All the rest is done. This is what my life is for. That I may know him. And then he says, he starts, he gives a couple, a couple ways in which you'll know. Now, this word know is, is the, the Greek word gnosko, which, which means some sort of experiential knowledge. A, a knowledge, not just I know about that thing or that person but i have some experience with that thing or that person you know it'd be the different you know I'm, i know about mechanics but i know nothing experientially about mechanics you know uh, uh brother brother uh, rob and i were talking about um, my car last last month when i was here and i i like theoretically i understand basically how a car works but experientially i have no knowledge how a car works uh I, I've very rarely gotten my hands dirty in my car and usually made it worse than what it was before, okay? Um, there's a different kind of knowledge here. Paul is talking about an experiential knowledge. And we find this, this of course, is true. If we're going to know someone on this earth, we, we, we have to have something in common with that person. We, we find that we bond with people when we have some common ground. And if you want to bond or become close to someone you've got to find something in common with them you know this is why the church finds fellowship with each other because we come together under the common ground of the gospel and uh you know but sometimes in order to to grow closer to someone if you see someone in the church you're like man i don't really know them very well find something in common with them you know i i I work hard at this um because there are people at the church in our church that i you know, I just naturally, some, some of them are just big, gruff, you know, hard, you know, men. And so I think, oh, man, that's not me. But I, I want to I find something in common with him. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go to, you know, find some, something that he likes that I, that I can sort of get in on and, and enjoy. And, and, uh, and so that way we can have a common ground and we can know each other better. We, we can grow in knowledge because we, we understand what the other person's going through when their football team loses. If I watch some football, maybe I'll understand it a little bit, you know? Um, so here Paul is, is using this idea. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Here's a way that I can know him. Then I may know him and the power of his 
resurrection. The power of his resurrection. Now, understand where Paul is. Paul is sitting in a prison cell, sure that there's a very good chance he may die. And he says, yeah, but look at the bright side. I'm going to know the power of the resurrection. I know I'd, I'd like to stick around for the rapture, but dying and then being resurrected gives me something in common with Christ. I wonder what it was like for Christ to die and rise from the dead. He had an experience I've never experienced. Maybe I'll know the Lord Jesus Christ a little better when I die and I rise from the dead. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll, I'll get to understand resurrection power better because I'm not going to make it to the rapture if that's what God has for me. He says, I just want to know him. If, if I die, great. I get to know him that way, through the power of the resurrection. Uh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Here's the next thing. And the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, Christ suffered on a cross for me. And now, if I'm to die in prison, Paul says, I get to fellowship with him. I get to die for him. You know, there's, there's, a, there's something in common that we're going to share, that I'm going to understand Christ a little better because I get to die for him the way he died for me, at least in some way, like what you did for me. I'm going to know the power of his resurrection if I die here in prison. I'm going to know the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. This shows us that we're interpreting this right. Paul is saying, I, I'm going to die like he died. I'm going to die for him like he died for me. And if that's the case, great. I'll give it all up. He says, I count all things but loss. If I get to die in prison, but it helps me know Christ better by experiencing what Christ experienced. Great. That's awesome. Now, this is the mentality that brings Paul to the conclusion in chapter 4 that we can, we can within all things, we can pray, but we can also give thanks. When we think about giving thanks, thanksgiving, we want to go through a list of all the good things that have happened, all the things that put a smile on our face and put a warm glow in our heart, you know, which are good. I mean, those are blessings from God, right? But Paul here is realizing that everything is a blessing from Christ. If it brings us to know him better. Suffering, great. He suffered too. Now we know what he felt like, you know. Temptation, Jesus was tempted. I feel a little bit more, but I, I know what he went through a little better. I, I understand uh, him better because, because I've gone through great sorrow and great trials. You know, sometimes we like to sugarcoat every difficulty, you know. Somebody's going through some great loss and we, we want to pat them on the back and say, cheer up, put a smile on your face. But that's not always God's plan, you know. We're told to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn. Why? Because God intends certain periods in our lives for mourning. That's good. It's holy. It's righteous for us to mourn about certain things, and it draws us closer to Christ, doesn't it? I mean, as Christians, I think we can all understand this. There's, there's no doubt in our minds as we think back in the past. I don't think I've ever talked to a Christian who's ever, who's ever, who's ever said, no, I don't think that's true. Every Christian I've ever spoken to can look back and say the hardest times in my Christian life were the times when I grew to know Christ so well. I just grew closer to him. And by the way, if that's not the case in difficulty, 
then you've missed it because that was the point to it. That's, that's what Paul is saying. That was the whole point of it. So I'm going to find Christ in this, and I'm going to grow to know him better. I'm going to understand his, his love for me by, by suffering and understanding his suffering on my, on my behalf. I'm going to understand his purpose for me because I get, to, I get to be bound and suffer on his behalf. I'm going to understand you know, what he's doing in my life maybe a little better. As I trust him, I'm going to grow in my faith. I'm going to grow. I mean, there's so many things that God must be doing. I mean, he's not just putting me in prison for nothing. And if nothing else, but just growing in the knowledge of Christ is the most valuable thing I can imagine. Now he says in verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. That means that I might uh, arrive at the resurrection of the dead. Again, he's talking about his own death. He's saying, he's saying, I, I might, I'm going to be made conformable unto his death. I'm going to die for him the way he died for me. And if that's the case, wonderful. Even though I don't, I'm not worthy, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, I get to be raised the way he was raised. <laughs> it's all just wonderful. And it's guaranteed, by the way, when we die, we're going to be resurrected. The, the book of John, the first John says, we shall see him and we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. This is a guarantee for Christians. The worst thing that can take place in our lives is death, and that just leads to a resurrection. <laughs> I mean, come on, this is wonderful. Verse 12, not as though I had already attained or, or obtained worthiness for the resurrection. Either we're already perfect, he clarifies. Here's what I mean. I'm not perfected. That, mean, that word means to be perfectly mature. You, you, you've arrived, you've... You've come to the full stature. The idea is, I haven't come to full stature, and I won't until I receive the glorified body. I'm not going to be perfect until, until after the resurrection. It's not like I'm, I'm already perfect. So just so you know, I'm just trying to use this as an example of how you can be grateful in all things because all things bring us to a greater knowledge of Christ. I'm not saying that I'm perfect, but I follow after. If that, I may apprehend that for which also... I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. It's a bit of a complicated uh, way to say this, but uh, the, the Greek doesn't help us. It says the same thing that the English does. So uh, let me just say it again. He says, if, but I follow after if that I may apprehend, that means to grab a hold of, that for which I am apprehended, grabbed a hold of, by, of Christ Jesus. He says, I want to grab the reason that Christ grabbed me. So, so Jesus, when he reached out and grabbed a hold of me, he apprehended me in salvation. He did so for a purpose. Now I'm living my life to reach out and grab a hold of the thing that he grabbed a hold of me for. The thing that he saved me for, that's my purpose. Why did Jesus save a dirty, rotten, self-glorified Pharisee like me? I don't know all the reasons, but Paul says, but I'm following after that purpose. What was it that Christ saved me for? I'm going to grab a hold of it as tightly as he grabbed a hold of me. That's pretty tight, by the way. That's, uh, that's pretty tight. I'm going to apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ. Verse 13, just to be clear, I have not apprehended. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I'm not saying that I've been perfect. I've accomplished everything God has wanted me to accomplish, but this one thing 
I do. By the way, we're going to have a focus in our lives or our lives are just going to be a mess. Most people's focus is themselves, whatever whatever makes them happy. And this is why the proverb says they have crooked paths. <laughs> they go in one direction and then they realize that's not going to make them happy. And they go, well, I, maybe if I go over here, and then the next thing you know, you look back at their path, it goes like this, you know, because they're always looking for something else that they think will make them happy because it's what, it's what they live for. You know, if I get a little bit more money, maybe it'll make me happy. If I get a, if I get a, a more, if I get a more beautiful wife, maybe that'll make me happy. If I get, if I, if I, if I could only just get that, that one, one position at work, you know, whatever it is, we always think there's something else that'll make us happy. And when we live for that one thing, our lives are really just a mess. They're all over the place. We all kind of live for one great purpose. It's just not very great, <laughs> mostly. But Paul says, you know, I, I'm not saying I have apprehended it, but I, I do have just one focus, and that is to apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Forgetting the things behind? Paul, I mean, you have so much behind you. Are you sure you want to just forget all of your training as a Pharisee, all of your righteousness, all of your authority, all of your, yeah, just, I'd rather forget that. <laughs> you know, some, sometimes we need to learn to do that, you know, forget the things that are behind. He says, I'm done with that. That's all behind. I've, I've counted that as loss, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. The, the, the wording here expresses stretching a muscle to its limit. He's, he's talking about running a race, and he says, if I'm running a race, I can't be thinking about the, what's behind me. I've got to be reaching forward and pressing towards the finish line. He says, I'm, I'm not worried about what's behind. I'm worried about what's in front of me. Paul, you don't have much in front of you. You're in prison. You're probably going to be there until you die. This is the end for you. You might as well just spend your last few days reminiscing about the past. He said, no. Now, God has some purpose for me here and now. And so while I'm here, I'm running the race. <laughs> in First Timothy, 2 Timothy, he, talks, he writes to Timothy. This is in a later imprisonment. He's imprisoned again. Um, by the way, he gets out of the imprisonment here in Philippians and then ends up in prison again. Um, and he says to Timothy, he, he, says, uh, he says that uh, I might be bound, but the gospel is not bound. Meaning I'm, I'm still preaching the gospel even though I'm here in prison. <laughs> I've got some purpose. God has some reason. I, he's apprehended me. He didn't apprehend me for nothing. Christ didn't save me and leave me on this earth to just live out the rest of my days in misery until I get to go to heaven. No, he, he's got to have some purpose. God isn't some, some being that just decides things for, for no reason. He's got a purpose for me. And so if I've got a purpose, I'm reaching for that. I'm not worried about what's behind me. Verse 14, I press toward the mark. What's the mark? The end of the line. He says, I'm not trying to run away from death. I'm just trying to get there as fast as possible. I'm trying to get there in the manner that honors Christ. I'm trying to run the race in a manner that pleases Christ and get to the finish line in a manner that is glorifying to my Savior. I, I'm, I'm stretching forward to that mark. If that's what he has for me, great. Whatever it is that's in front of me, I'm pressing towards it all the more fervently. I'm reaching out for it. I'm reaching towards the mark, the end of the line. For the prize of the high calling of God in 
Christ Jesus. What's the prize? Well, when I get to the mark, I get called on high. The, the, uh, the phrase here, the high calling, it has the idea of it being an upward calling, a calling upward, which is what we get when we get to the mark, right? When we get to the mark, we get to the finish line of the race, we get called upward. And he says, look, that's what I'm looking for. I don't mind if I die. I'm more worried about apprehending while I'm on this earth the thing for which I was apprehended because that's what matters. And it all has to do with the knowledge of Christ because the, high, the prize of the high calling of God is in Christ Jesus. <laughs> what do I do when I get to heaven? I spend my days knowing Christ in a more full way. Uh, verse 15, here, here he goes. Let us therefore as many as be perfect. Now, he's just said, I'm not counting myself as perfect. He's expressed that we're not perfect. And yet he says, well, let's as many as be perfect. <laughs> I think he's being facetious here, right? He's being, um, he's using sarcasm. Because here are people who say, if you'll just be circumcised and follow the Old Testament law and become a Jew, then you'll be perfect. <laughs> Paul says, all right. If you think you're perfect, by the way, I'm not perfect, but if you think you're perfect, then this should be your mind. As many, therefore, as be perfect, be thus minded. And if any, if, if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto, unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained. He says, <laughs> he, he says, nevertheless, those of us who realize that we aren't perfect, <laughs> what we have accomplished, what we have attained of the purpose of God, let us mind, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. What is the mind? Remember chapter 2, it is the mind of Christ. It is that in suffering, in humility, in trials and tribulations and difficulties, and even in the good times too, that we are learning the mind of Christ. We are identifying with him. We get to the privilege of, of joining with him in suffering we get the privilege of knowing him better in suffering he says listen if nothing else if you get nothing else out of this understand this that knowing there is an excellent thing for you that excellency is the knowledge of christ and you will find that in the good you will find it in what you think is bad you will find it in the pleasurable you'll find it in the sorrowful you'll find it every part of your life. Why? Because it's the reason for which you were apprehended of Christ. There's going to be a purpose in every single minuscule thing in your life, and some of it may not be apparent. Maybe it won't be apparent until you get to heaven what the purpose was or how this helped you grow in your knowledge of Christ, but it does. And so, instead of living our lives running away from the mark, running in opposition to the purpose of Christ because it's not our purpose. Paul says, let's run towards it and let's be grateful. Everything that gives us the excellent knowledge of Christ, this is why in chapter four, he could conclude with this. We'll read it again. Be careful for nothing in verse six, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I know it's tough. You need to pray, you need to be going to God in prayer, making your requests known unto him, but it should be thanksgiving as well. All of it should be thanks, things that we list in our thanksgiving column. 
because, whether we realize it or not, we are growing in our knowledge of Christ. And I wonder if, just as Christians, we often don't realize how valuable that thing is, knowing Christ, identifying with him. I think when we get to heaven, we'll look back at our lives and say, oh my goodness, thank you, Lord, for all of the terrible things that I thought were terrible, you know. But look at it now. I'm realizing that there was nothing more excellent than to know Christ. That was the whole purpose of the whole thing. And I got the great privilege of of growing on this earth and my knowledge of Christ. How many times did I run away from the knowledge of Christ because I didn't like the manner in which he was delivering that knowledge? I didn't like the suffering that was accompanied with it or the death that I feared with it. But Paul said, you know, all the way to death, I don't care if the Romans kill me. If, it, if it's what God has for me, that's great because it's the knowledge of Christ I'm after. Father in heaven, I pray that you'd help us to let this sink very deeply into our hearts. That at this time of year, especially as we consider what we are thankful for, that we would just be overwhelmed with your goodness to us, even in the darkest of or the darkest moments of our lives. How gloriously good you have been to give us the dark things as well as the light things, to give us the increased knowledge of Christ, if nothing else, the ability to serve you, the, the, the finding of that for which you apprehended us. Help us to reach for that thing. Help us to stretch our arms out and press toward the mark Because on the other side of the mark, we find the high upward calling of God and Christ Jesus. Help us then to have this mind, as Paul said, to mind the same things. That we not let ourselves be so overwhelmed with our own comfort and our own goals in life that we forget the one thing that we're doing. And that is to learn to know you better. I pray these things in Jesus.